Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Jordan Rothline, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. UK dance music moves fast, and Tesfa Williams knows that better than most. By the time he was out of his teens, Williams had already enjoyed huge success as part of Grimes' first wave, only to see the whole thing crumble around him as the music mutated and audiences moved on. When he re-emerged in 2010 under the name T. Williams after years spent honing his craft, his new house-led sound dovetailed neatly with the burgeoning UK funky movement. But by this point, Williams was operating free from any one sound or scene. He recorded a string of music for Tom Lee's local action label, including the smash vocal house track Heartbeat. He eventually fell in with PMR Records, winding up touring the US with Labelmate's Disclosure. These days, Williams is most interested in bringing the entire melting pot of UK club music together, which is why he started Today, Tomorrow a label that will embrace stylistic fusions and focus on new talent. He's a proud ambassador for the UK scene, but as he told Ryan Keeling in London recently, its thirst for innovation can come at a cost. start by asking you about the RA cycle that you did with us <laughs> at the end of last year because uh, I wasn't on the cycle due to uh, laziness <laughs> I guess but I wanted to ask how that experience was for, for you. Um, I, I keep telling people this um, that's probably one of one of the most amazing things I've done via being a DJ via my music that's probably one of the most amazing things and one of the most amazing experiences I've, I've had with obviously not really knowing many people that were cycling and then getting to know everyone and the camaraderie and everyone kind of like helping each other along. And um, I was definitely in a group that I had, we had a few people in our group that had a few injuries and stuff like that and we was all together and it was, it, it was amazing and an absolutely amazing experience. Similarly, I felt like I knew Europe before I went on this, this, this cycle. I felt like I'd seen Europe. I was like, oh yeah, I've been to this country, I've been to this city, that city, but really and truly like, getting out there on a bike cycling across Europe was again another mind-blowing experience to actually get to see like the European roads like on the ground like rather than in a car from an airport to a club back to a hotel it's it was yeah it was a real and amazing experience are you much of like a physical activity type of guy well I, I cycled nevertheless on like to and from my studio when the, when the weather permits me to do so I'm not really a, a fan of cycling in the rain but yeah, other than that, I've do you know what I mean? I've, I've had my times with sport and not doing sport, but so I'm not I'm not a regular gym guy or nothing like that. No, definitely not. <laughs> so to get us started properly, I wanted to kind of, or for you to take your mind right back to your early teen years because I've read in a few places that you got your start on uh, producing and DJing very early. Yeah. So my first question really was, 
what gets you into that mind frame? Like what inspires you as a, as a sort of 12, 13 year old kid to, you know, get behind the computer and, and start writing music? Yeah. If I take it back to there, it's, it's, it's really funny because I didn't actually know, I knew I was making music, but I'd, I'd always attempted to make music in whatever way, shape or form I could really back to before I was a teenager and I was a real young kid. My sister had like a Casio keyboard as most homes did. And we had an old um, Fisher Price like tape recorder and an actual hi-fi set. And I used to like record layers. So play something, record it on the Fisher Price tape recorder and then play that back and then record another layer via the Fisher Price. So like found my own way of that like, doing like an eight track scenario and stacking things up, but all on the between two tapes. So I'd always done that. That was that was from when I was really young. And again, I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that that was the way I was going to be able to get a drum beat, a piano, a like a crazy like car sound all together in one. And then um, one of my really good friends at high school, he had an uncle that was doing like music production and made music. And again, I didn't actually know how music was actually made on a computer or anything like that. But he gave me a copy of Cubasis on floppy disk. Which is like the sort the of stripped down, down version, version of Cubase. Right? Yeah, okay. original version um, on a three and a half inch floppy. And um, I took that home to my family PC and secretly uploaded that in the nighttime. And um, yeah, didn't didn't have a clue what was going on or nothing like that. But just tiddled around and until I found a few sounds and do you know what I mean started and started from there and it was just the same hunger from when I was a even an even younger kid that just you just wanted to compose you wanted to put layers of like sounds and like music together to try to build what I was listening to at the time I mean I was nowhere near the mark but try to build what I was listening to at the time and what were you listening to at the time I was into jungle jungle and drum and bass like I got into jungle um when I was like nine, 10 years old, my dad was a youth worker, part-time youth worker at a youth club and he used to buy jungle records for the youth club. My dad's a, a record collector anyway of reggae and like dub reggae and soul and funk. And um, he just decided to let me have a listen to this kind of this stuff. Do you know what I mean? And one of the kids at the youth center, um, his name was DJ Stretch and I'm not sure if he's doing anything now, but um, he he made a tape and this tape, my dad gave me this tape, or I got my hands on this tape, should I say. I used to just take my dad's tapes anyway. And um, yeah, it was Jungle and it was, it just blew my mind. It was just, it was like, it was my dad's music, like with the reggae samples and all that kind of stuff. But it was mine. It was like for us young people. So um, yeah, I got into, that's what I was trying to, I was attempting to make Jungle at the time. So how does a kid sort of um, in his early teen years go about like approaching that and like, deconstructing the sound like how would you even start because I mean I guess we're in a time where there's not loads of information available and it's not like you can just pull up a tutorial on YouTube or something so like, how do you go about that where does your information come from just being an inquisitive child like or teenager should I say so my dad again massive influence on me being able to like make and create music for what he could do for me at the time but he used to be in a band which meant that one of his really good friends owned a studio Actually, two of his good friends, sorry, owned, stu owned studios in London. And kind of in a way, I got an insight into, like, I, I mean, I didn't know what was going on in the studio, but I kind of got an insight into, like, the fact that you need to have 
like a few different things like 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 you could have a sampler you needed a desk at the time you, like you needed these things in a studio to, to make quality music this was where a lot of music was coming from so in my head my whole aim of aim as a teenager was to learn how to use the program that people was using which like Cubase was one of them and to kind of like figure out a way to kind of make money to to buy like my first sound module to buy my first sampler to get my first desk mixing desk like to, to to build a studio that was the whole aim of the game I didn't know how things were put together I didn't know how I was going to make the sounds from the sampler or anything like that I just knew that music jungle be it whatever came from a studio that had these elements and I was just striving to like save money to to, to do that and in the meantime I just felt like I needed to I, I, I needed to get the ideas that were in my head like down mm. whether it was like the worst sounds in the world whether it didn't sound anything like the genre I just wanted to get those sounds down and and show people that I could I can make a song like whether it be it didn't it, like I really was terrible back then but even as I listened to some of my productions from like when my 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 early teens, which I've got mini discs of them, they kind of, um, I can hear how I was forming, like I knew how like, okay, well, like eight bars, 16 bars, 32 bars, like, and and learning where things should change, where a crash should be, do you know what I mean? And just learning those like basic structuring of music itself or dance music, should I say. I was only trying to structure dance music. So yeah, dance music. Because you hadn't had any experiences of like clubs at this point, assuming. <laughs> Or <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is this is another side of the story. I mean, I find it funny and weird to to think back to my early days of actually going to clubs and and my first moment of seeing like maybe someone like Nicky Back Market, being a, a young junglist. But in my area, again by my dad, there was a gentleman called Joey J, who was at the time was on Kiss FM, as it was a pirate station at the time, and um, he played like roots reggae. And his his brother is Norman J. And they ran Good Time Sound System. So my dad was really good. Went to went to school with these with these guys as well. And my dad was really good friends with them. And so Joey J, being the person that he was like, and he decided to do party for under 18s in my area in Southall. So all my friends from my high like from my high school, like and loads of friends from my area, like we all we'd all go to this 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 night called Tomorrow's People. And um, he would not only like do that, but get like you know what I mean the top. DJs like so we got to hear like Nicky Back Market do you know what I mean like got to hear Brocky we got to hear MCs like Skibbity like MC Dare like Shabba like we got to hear these people with all of that it, it kind of gave me an insight into what clubbing was like again it gave me that kind of like insight to want to go to clubs mm. so what happened was that that was when I was like 11 years old and what happened was I've got an older cousin and I'm one of six children and I'm like fourth so I've got older siblings and so my parents were quite quite cool like they they let me go with my older siblings and my cousins and stuff to to over 18 parties way before I was anywhere near 18 I don't know how I, I mean I had I used to have long dreads like so I suppose I looked a little bit older than I maybe was at the time so from that perspective going to a club and hearing things and I, I had a really strong foundation in club I, like I said it wasn't it wasn't every week but I'm talking you know I mean I got to see like Adrenaline Village, I got to see like some of like the iconic clubs in London mm. or iconic venues in London as they were like Bagley's and things like that, like as they were like in their heyday as a teenager. And and that kind of definitely shaped me in terms of the way that I made music. Definitely back then I was making music, trying to make music for the club, like 
from pretty much the time that I really got into making music, I was trying to make music for the club. I was trying to make those, make it sound sonically like amazing for the club, like have like that weighty bass that I've, like I hear when I'm in the club. I mean, I didn't have it, but I was attempting. Do you sure. Know what I mean? And were you passing your music around at this time? Were you so, getting it to DJs or sending it to labels or anything like that? Um, no, it wasn't until it wasn't until maybe I was like, well, so I was still very young. Yeah. When I was 15. So when I, was, when I was 15, me and one of my good friends, the guy that gave me the, the copy of Cubases, we decided that we was going to do a label and we was going we to try and get our music out there, obviously. And um, we took the pilgrimage to Music House in uh, Instanton Light and we decided that, yeah, we, was, we took a day off school, basically, or we bunked school to go to Music House and sit there. We sat there all day. We saw some of our heroes like walk through the door, like Ray Keith saw him walk through the door. Um, and it was just it was just an amazing experience to, to, to do that. Obviously my mum didn't know that I did this, but nevertheless, yeah, we, what we used to do is used to go cut dub plates and just cut dub plates. Then when I would get the opportunity to go to a club with my like, older siblings or cousins, I would go and I would like hand it to the DJ. I mean, never really worked, never worked at all, but. So you didn't get any traction from that? No, no. zero traction from that. At, like it was, yeah. Or, or we'd take it to like the record shop, like, you know what I mean? Like Black Market or Uptown and, or at least the Groove or any of those record shops that we had going on in London at the time and, and take the dub plate with us and kind of like be like, oh, this is like our new track, whatever. And people were really quite helpful as well. Some people were just like, do you know what I mean? Let us know what we needed to do to kind of like take it a little bit further. And yeah, and that was like, basically we'd go halves. He'd have, he'd, he was still into jungle and the drum bass. So he'd have the one side and I'll have the other side, which was like garage, like, yeah. So. Yeah, I was going to ask about garage because I assume by the time you're attending like over 18s parties, like garage is like massively on your radar. Yeah. A strong part of my late teens, so when I was like 18, 19, I was into, I was into garage and going to those clubs. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't really go to those clubs at that age, crazily when I was actually over 18. By the time I was actually over 18, I was kind of, I felt like I, I was done with raving, to be fair. Like, I felt like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was kind of like, okay, well, I've done this like time and time again. And in terms of how clubs were in and around the UK at the time for garage music, it was kind of like a dark time for garage at the time as well. It was kind of, it was quite dangerous, to be fair. So around like 18, 19, when I'm actually over at the age to go to clubs, I'd go, I still go, do you know what I mean? But, and that's when like, maybe like when I was like 19, yeah, but 18, 19, grime was like really starting to like bubble. Mm. It was like that kind of darker kind of garagey sound was time, like kind of like creeping its way in. Like, so. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. Do you, do you sort of have strong memories of like that period when it did start to mutate? For sure. Literally, like I, I can, I can remember it started from like a few, a few tunes. It started probably from as early as like tunes like, Scrappy and Down On Me from Wookie and with the surgence of like track from So Solid called Dilemma as well, which was a very basic track. And it was like a kind of like, a, so I would have been like 17 when this was going on, a music 2000 track. So it's like 99, 2000. And um, yeah, the, tune, the track was actually made on a PlayStation. So it was the beginnings of that thing, that, that grind thing. Obviously Wookie track wasn't made on a PlayStation, but that track, those two darker style of like garage tracks came about and they took a hold of the crowd at the time and really like pushed things forward for someone like myself who was into like, kind of like, I was into like, 
I mean, I was into drum and bass and jungle, but I also like this garage thing, but I wanted to like merge those two worlds together and kind of like bring that dark side from the jungle into the garage. And it kind of like made mm. it possible for me to maybe like do that. And maybe like a whole load of other people that were, were living around the UK at the time to kind of be like, okay, well we can make dark garage now. This is like, this is totally fine. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and that's when it kind of started to bubble and, and then slowly but slowly track and track, one track after another, it would slowly but slowly slip in. And I've had this conversation with many people time and time again. It's like all the big producers, like the MJ Coles, the Wookiees, like the Artful Dodgers, those kind of people at the time, they kind of disappeared. And what I learned is their disappearance happened because they all got signed to major labels and were doing like major label deals and producing for like artists, which gave people like myself at the age of like 18 and 19, an opportunity to kind of like slip in because the market wasn't, there was nothing in the market at the time. Mm. Like all the top producers were away making albums producing for big stars like Craig David and things like that. Like, yeah, that gave us an opportunity. And that's when, the, that's when it really, we really took a hold of the, the grind thing really took a hold. Like, Yeah, it's interesting. You've got this sort of like vacuum and it's being filled by these like very sort of dark stripped back instrumental tracks in a way. It happened and it literally happened in like, it felt what felt like a second for me. It was like from one year to the next, we literally blinked and it was like, oh, it's okay for me to do what I do now. Like, and it was... It was an amazing moment. For some people, obviously, they didn't, they didn't really like the change and it was not for them. But for me, it was an amazing moment in time that that, that scene, that the, the kind of like tracks like Pulse X and by Musical Mob and these like kind of like people from my local area surrounding me in West London as well, kind of like everyone's was just creeping slowly but surely mm. into like the fold and going to like club nights like Smooth at Ministry of Sound, which was like a an amazing garage Friday night down there and hearing like my tracks getting played as a, as a teenager was just, yeah, it was just mind blown and mind blown time. And whereas I'd admit like maybe like two years or a year prior, there was no way for me to, to get into that because it was all vocal. It was all very like happy. So <laughs> like high production values yeah, yeah. and happy and like vocals and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So your artist name at the time, Dread D, DJ Dread D, yeah. was that sort of intended to evoke the style of music you were making? Do you think that sort of like reflected where your head was at musically? Funny enough, that was literally just a name that people, I mean, I had long dreads at the time. So <laughs> it was just the name that everyone used to call me. But people, people still call me, like from my area, people still call me Dreddy to this day. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's funny for me. It's still funny to like go back and like, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, that's just how it, that's how it was. Like I was at school, my, all my like close friends called me Dread. Like, and it was just like, that's what it was. It kind of fitted, it fitted the, the, the genre, but it didn't fit the genre of music that I was playing maybe when I was playing like the happy garage stuff in my like, mid-teens but as soon as it got to like my late teens it was like this is perfect like this makes sense but yeah it's just a name that my friends gave me so how far does your relationship with johnny cash go back so i met johnny when i was 16 basically i went to college uh city westminster college in paddington and i met a guy called dj dice who was closely connected to like tied with lush fm and a few pirates around london and he knew johnny as well and was part of like johnny's collective as a dj and um he was, again, so at the time I was, so now I was 16 and I had a little part-time job on the weekends. I was pressing up more dub plates, giving them out to more DJs. And so my friend in particular, DJ Dice, I just, I had like a like a box of like dub plates and I was just like of different tunes that I'd pressed up over the, over the years or whatever. And I just gave them all to him so he could play them on radio. And he's played them on a radio show with that he's done with Johnny. And Johnny was like, these these tracks are like really good. Like I like them. I, I want to put them out. What's 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 happening with this guy? Whatever. And so he he just introduced me to Johnny when I was sixteen years old. 
went down to Johnny's studio in Lambergrove and I was just like, I mean, I remember being like, I was such a little kid, like at the time, and I, that, like to think back to it, I was so young, but yeah, I just sat with him, sat in with him and um, he gave me a few pointers about what I should do and what I needed to do to kind of like step the production game up and kind of like what needs to be done in terms of like sound wise. So I can actually, it was at a quality level that he could actually press up on vinyl and sell obviously and um yeah i just took heed of what he said went back in the studio but yeah our relationship started at, at when i was 16 years old in college like i mean you must have had like some level of success from from the point of your first release is that right see it's funny because being as hungry as i was as a kid i pressed up a vinyl with another friend of mine we went halves on a, on a, on a release when i was like I think I was still in high school. I might be 15. We went half in the release and basically we done the first half and then my friend didn't have the money for the second half to actually get. So we done the test pressing, had the 10 test presses and went out there, get them out. But he didn't have the money for the second half to go off and actually press the vinyls. So we just had these like 10, 10 presses like circulating. That happened. And then another label called Natural Essence when I was 16 came in and was in, re interested in like my music again, they took too long to release the track that I had at the time. Right. By the time they wanted to release it on their label, it, it, the musically I had to kind of like moved on. So I was like, I don't want that to, didn't want that to happen. And so my very, very first release, like proper official release was, was on Black Ops and was Invasion. And like I say to the day, I, I, I mean, I thought that was like a normal thing to happen, but my, like my first release and selling like, we sold like between like, I don't know, it was seven, 8,000 records or something stupid like that. It's um, kind of crazy to yeah. think about now, isn't it? To think about like, like I say, it's still probably my best selling record to date. Like it's insane. And yeah, I thought that was normal <laughs> at the time, but like now I'm a lot older and like, do you know what I mean? I'm a lot wiser. I know that that was not like the norm. Like that was definitely something that, that was definitely special to that piece of music. I mean, how how long would you say that golden period lasted for? Like, for how long were those sorts of units being shifted? For us, it was definitely, it was like maybe like a 12 to 18 month period for us, like of like really shifting units and really like people like pre-sales, like flying out the door, having the money before you've even, you've even gone to the pressing plant. Yeah. Like, I'd say about 12 to 18 months, that was like, uh, like the amazing period. And that was probably both amazing period for Grime as well. Like I'd say at that period of time, just, just really shifting units like yeah. of vinyl. And it and it, again, it was just at the, the moment of like the internet, like really being a big, playing a big part in the music industry and, and music in general. Do you know what I mean? This is pre iTunes. Like like this is, pre, this is pre most of most digital download sites. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, just as those things were coming about and just as those, literally just before that, that was the moment. And as soon as those things happened, it all changed. Yeah, we, we would sell, we would struggle to sell like 500 records. Was that almost overnight? Is that how it felt It at felt. Least? It felt like overnight. It felt like one minute you was like hotcakes, like, and the next minute, everyone still thought your music was hotcakes. So people were still talking about it on the forums, like they still were talking about your music. Like it was amazing. You were still held as like someone that people were looking for releases from. But in terms of sales, it didn't reflect the, the, the hype and what was going on at the time. Yeah, I mean, tell us about some of the, like, the broader market forces at that time. Like, but what led to such a sort of dramatic shift? So, again, I feel like within that scene, again, what happened was like a lot of people got signed and a lot of a lot of deals were made. 
obviously like with most of us coming from a garage background, you kind of had a stronger understanding of like how the garage circuit went from like being something really underground and really niche to being very popular and commercial and like a, a very a music that was like very UK synonymous. So kind of in a way you kind of saw that and some people had a good view of it. Some people had a bad view of, view of it. But nevertheless, you could see it happening. You could see that, that like, major labels were like paying attention and, and understanding that this was part of it. So this is the same time as like people like MIA was coming around and Lady Sovereign and the streets. Like this is the same time as all that stuff's going on. Like, and so you could see like how like our music is kind of like is breaching like between those two worlds, like, like the commercial side, the wider market and also like the underground at the time. And um, yeah, with a few artists, some people like Dizzy Rascal getting signed and these things happening, it just changed the way things were happening on the underground circuit. I mean, f for me, I think we, we had like, we had opportunities to like produce for like other MCs and stuff like that. And I mean, I never did it. At the time, it was pure probably arrogance, I'd say, like from the, the people I was around at the time. It was... We felt like there was they didn't give us enough money or give us enough leeway to do what we wanted to do. Oh, well, I mean, how do you view it looking back on it? Do you think they were like thinking back? Were they sort of sound deals or opportunities? Or there were sound opportunities, like very sound career opportunities on a on a very like singular level. Like it was, it would have been a good opportunity for me, but on a musical opportunity for the for the actual like scene and the the genre itself, maybe not so much good opportunities because again. It, like you, as soon as you delve into that world of kind of like maybe a, a major label A and R letting you know that this and this might need to change because it won't sell in the market, which is understandable. It's pop music, yeah. That kind of dilutes what you're doing as a, as a producer and dilutes what you're doing as as an artist. So this eventually leads you to kind of falling out of love with with what's going on around you. Yeah, com completely. It felt like it was completely changing, and it felt like for me, like I said, it was like the, the MCs were the stars. Nothing against MCs, but the MCs were the stars of the, of the, the genre. And I mean, were you still feeling everything musically at that musically time? Musically, I was still feeling it, but as a as a as a producer, someone who wanted to be involved, involved in it. Yeah, yeah I, I I felt like I, I. At some points, it felt too easy as well because the simplicity of like, like I love music that's like simply great like do you know what I mean but for me I was like growing up I was getting older I was feeling like musically like I wasn't getting to like push the boundaries that I wanted to push do you know what I mean there was there was things that I wanted to do I wanted to work with vocalists art, like singers and songwriters and stuff like that and there was stuff that like, I wasn't getting to like experiment with and push myself like as a producer and I felt like as well this is what came into that as well at the time was the whole change in music production it was moving from being you needed a big studio to just being able to like make music on your pc or your laptop mm. and i felt like i was getting left behind as well let's say at the same time with the music genre that i was doing i felt like i was getting left behind with the fact that like things like dubstep was coming along and people were like really taking product music production seriously like as a foreman i felt like with my genre at the time i felt like i was getting left behind in terms of production levels and in terms of like like musicality yeah i see well. i mean do you think if like for example if some of the instrumental grime tracks had of you know maybe had a production value that was like on a par with some of the early dubstep records do you think there could have been like you know more of a cross-pollination like could that stuff have been played at some of those parties like you know sort of dovetailed the, the rise of dubstep well, what's funny about it is that for me at the time and this is how it felt just from me as an artist looking in it it felt like if you made a track that had like, 
intense emotion or musicality about it or a higher level of music production, then it would get hailed as dubstep. And if you made a track that had like a lesser production value or whatever, then it would get hailed as grime. Right, I see. So you look at people like Joker who was making grime, but because he product his production was like definitely on a high level of music production and definitely musical, it went dubstep. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, then so it, it was a weird time. It was like really, the lines were, were already blurred anyway. Like we would get to play like, with me part, being part of Black Ops, we'd play a lot of dubstep parties. We'd play like one of like Amsterdam's biggest dubstep parties. We was like there in, in the early days. It was called Oi. Like it used to happen at Paradiso. We was there early doors. We were getting flown out there early doors to play there. Also, um, oh, Pinch's Night in Bristol. We'd go down and play that. Subloaded. Subloaded, yeah. Yeah, we'd go down and play that. We was getting to play. Like we was playing a lot of the early dubstep raves. Like I, I, I met like these guys like when I was like really young. But again, it was just the music production values. I mean, I, feel, I felt like it was like you'd be on one tip if you was at a certain level and you'd be on the other tip if you was at another, like a lower level to say, if you want to call it that. Yeah, like, no, I understand. And it was, yeah, it, it was really disheartening as a producer who, for me, I didn't feel like my musical talents were based on a genre. Do you know what I mean? I felt like, like everyone's free to do what they want to do. And the genre like wasn't more what I was focused on. And I kind of felt like it, because of what I'd done prior, you was in a genre, you was in a genre, you was in a scene, you was in, you was a part of a crowd, you was part of a certain thing, a part of a movement. And being part of that thing, you didn't have any movement to do something else. Mm. Like subsequently, if you look at me now as T Williams, you can see that like fully like being free and like exploring every avenue of what I, what I want to do and what I throw and what I like. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, looking back on, on your story, the sort of, um, think about the next sort of four or five years i think it was it was really striking to me that you know reading that what came next for you was house but then also you took this huge break you know between um releasing records and you know learning that this break was um you know something of a voyage of discovery for you you know you were getting into house but didn't necessarily want to just like throw yourself into that game without the necessary experience so i wonder if you could talk a bit about like what that sort of process of education was like for you and why you were kind of taking it that that seriously yeah for me i take music seriously and i have always taken it very seriously and i've always respected anyone's like anyone that's making music and being creative like with music i've always respected their art form and i feel like it would have been a disrespect for me to think that to like from one afternoon to the next i could just jump in and be like, okay, well now I'm a house producer and I make house music because you're, I was so ingrained and so deep in the UK, like kind of like grime and like garage circuit doing stuff like that, that, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, it would it felt disrespectful for me to even yeah. turn around and think I could say something like that. You have to go back to school. Yeah, go back, you gotta go back to school. You gotta, and that, and that was, that was, it was a good time for me because I went back to, to partying. I went back to enjoying. Like, I didn't really enjoy party. Once I got into like the grime circuit and I was into it and I was I was there already. I didn't enjoy partying so much. Like he's more going to hear your, like to see the reaction to your, one of your tracks or it was like, it was work, it was business like, mm, do you sure. know what I mean? And, and it changed everything. And then with house music, I like getting into that and kind of like digging for my roots and digging through like my garage records that I had house and garage at the time and seeing like, people like Armin van Helden and people like that, that was there or like masters at work and tunes that I had from them, those guys that were in my collection and look at them and be like, oh wow, that's really, that's, that, that was, that was house music. Do you know what I mean? And kind of like rediscovering like what, how I really connect to this music itself 
yeah, it kind of led me back to parties, led me back to being like sure. to going out and being a raver and enjoying being a raver and being someone that like literally can be part of the party. I can be a part of the party. It's fine. Who would you go and see at that time? Do you remember? Like, who would get you at the house? What's funny is, like, at the time, I wasn't even listening to, like, big artists. I mean, I went and saw, like, Kenny Dope when he came to, like, Ministry of Sound and stuff like that. And again, those parties, for me, weren't necessarily the most educating because I wasn't... I was educating myself from the past for, like, coming forward. So, yeah, I see. So yeah. the music that I wanted to hear wasn't necessarily the music that, like, the legends that I was talking about would be playing at that time. So the parties that I had the best time at, to be fair, it was just, like mates of mine's like, like yeah, we're getting into house music just like me and going and hearing them DJ at local parties in, in East and like around central London and, and places like that and they would just be playing old school house records but it'd be full education it was me starting from from zero to to, to, to present day and I it took me a time like, took me a while to get up to it and understand how the music has got to where it was at yeah at I that see. Day and understand it really understand it and really enjoy it so then for about three or four years, you're just in the studio, just like hammering on this house production and trying to get things into a good place. Yeah. Is that right? That's that's absolutely correct. I moved to a flat in South London. I had my studio set up in my front room. And um, yeah, I was just like most evenings, I'd just be there and just be listening to house music and listen to producers that I like, people like Henrik Schwartz, again, like Dennis Ferrer, like people like that, like, and just kind of like, really trying to pin down what I liked about what they were doing. Mm. I kind of like extract that and kind of like, like really like hone it in and, and be like, okay, well, well how, now how can I, how can I make music like that, but unique to me? Mm. And like, there's loads of tracks that I made that probably sounded exactly like their songs, but like, you know what I mean? I'd never, I would never be the type of person to kind of like just show someone that I'd be like, okay, how can, now how can I push this forward? How can I make this like relate to what I'm doing as, and, and what I, where I've been my journey and kind of bring that forward. And it, yeah, was, sure. it, was a, it was a massive process for me. Like, Do you remember when you felt ready? When you sort of felt ready to, you know, get things out there, to start talking to people? Did it, did it, you know, was there a defining moment or anything? I never felt ready. Really? <laughs> never felt ready. Like I managed to like connect with a few people and I'm always, I've always been that person like kind of connecting with people. And so I'm connected with a few people that was into like like-minded music and like-minded people. Like, and I had like a DJ set up in my front room as well. So I'd invite people over and like, maybe we'd go to a party and we'd have like a little after party in my house and, just be in my house like um, DJing. And um, I met Coolie G, who was a girl who signed to, signed to Hyperdub, but this is prior to that. And there was another guy, a good friend of mine called Seth, and we we all was like, and even my friend Jay Bevan, we was all there in my front room, just, you know what I mean? Just jumping on the decks and yeah. playing songs or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah, it was basically via like doing mixes, just mucking around mixes with them. And those friends of mine telling me like, I didn't know that was your song. I thought that was just like a normal, how song that was out there like wow this is this is crazy and um yeah and basically bottom line i didn't even want to put out my music my friend seth was like he's going to put it on a soundcloud on a not soundcloud myspace <laughs> he's going to put it on, he's going to put it on he's going to put it on a myspace and um we was going to start a label and i was like cool we went and saw a guy that i thought was a good producer like a house producer i was like he's good like I can, I can I'd, I'd be proud to release his music. Like, yeah, sure. so we put together, I started releasing his music, and he was like, "Okay, we should throw one of your tracks on the SoundCloud too. Like, we should, we should really do this too." Like, so there was a track that we released on our label called Deep Technology, which was it called In the Groove, which was like a kind of like Chicago house track. Like, but then I threw up one of my tracks on SoundCloud. Well, they, he threw up one of my tracks on SoundCloud, and that got a lot of traction from people like Sindon, even like Diplo, Early Doors, and people like that. Like, came like. Looking at, oh, what's this? Oh, right. And this is just from MySpace. 
So Marianne Hobbs as well, which was, she was a great advocate of our music as well at the time. And this kind of gave me the, the, the confidence, but I still didn't care about releasing my own music. I still didn't release my own music. I didn't release my own music on my own label. It wasn't until Tom Lee from like Fat Magazine told me he was starting a new label, starting a label and with Fonica and whatever, and told me the deal and was like, I, I really want to release music from you. That I was kind of like, oh, well, maybe. So, sorry to, to clarify this. You weren't even really aspiring to like have a career or anything at that point. You were just kind of like doing it for kicks. Literally just for kicks. Like I didn't, I didn't think I could have a career from making music. It was just literally, I just wanted to be able to like master the sound of house music or tr try to attempt to master a, a sound that related to me of house music. That's, that was it. I, I, and I also kind of had a thing where it, was, it kind of felt kind of elitist as well. So I felt like I always wanted to like tap into that elite market that I, I, I felt like being a grime producer that people would be like shocked like oh wow a guy who made grime made this like yeah I almost, so you kind of stung a little bit from that experience like back in the day for think? sure it's yeah just, it's, it's stuck with me to, to this to this day yeah it sticks with me of how limited it felt to be a part of a scene that was it was that was so fresh it was like it's so fresh, but how can it be? How can we be so limited so early? Didn't it didn't make it didn't, like, it didn't compute with me? It was like how can we be so limited at such an early time? This yeah. is like the time for experimentation. This is the time for for us to really like push the boundaries of the genre. Let's talk a bit about um, UK funky and that sort of emergence. I guess was like around the time you you started releasing music again. How excited were you personally by that development, and how much was that kind of influencing what you were doing? So UK funky. Again, I'm I'm definitely very proud to be from the UK and proud of like what the UK has brought to the table music wise around the world. So when UK Funky came along, it felt really good and it felt for me it felt like a resurgence of like the garage circuit. It felt like it had come back because garage had completely like died off and it felt like yeah. all the old ravers that I used to see when I was like a teenager, they'd be out as well. All the old producers, people like even like someone like Skepta made a funky tune like back then and it was it was it was like all the old guys were like everyone was jumping in and tapping in or you might see like a, a, a garage MC just there partying as well or like and it was just a good time for like London and UK like just coming back together it, so it influenced me kind of like made me realise that like it didn't have to it didn't, it didn't have to all be like so in your face like it didn't have to be like a bang like it could it could be like a little bit softer more vocal more for the ladies and people can really still get back into it it was, it was fine and yeah so it, it definitely spurred me on but it spurred me on in a way not necessarily to be a part of that scene i still was still adamant that i was gonna like make house music like yeah, i still sure, like sure. i was still adamant i was gonna be like okay i'm gonna make house music but it kind of gave me that insight that to be like okay well let me make house music that that influ that has influences from everything that's come through the uk be it grime garage dubstep jungle or funky let me bring that all into like one basket and make house music that sounds something like that yeah, no, I see. I, I mean, how would you sort of define funky? I mean, there's definitely like people who'll be listening to this who wouldn't necessarily like be able to identify a funky track if they like, you know, heard it in the context of a DJ set. Yeah. A UK funky track on basis elements has kind of like an Afrobeat drum pattern running through it. A lot of the time, at the time, it had like piano stabs, like kind of like 90s house piano stabs going, going through them. And then the influence from like the garage circuit, which was like the bass, like actually having a drop in the track itself. It would get it would have an intro and a drop in the arrangement and the drop will be when the bass kicks in. Mm. Yeah, no, I and see. 
pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess the the lifespan of funk as a genre was like fairly short lived around the sort of like 2009 2000 to 2011 period, but as it was a sound that was viewed as like the next development in like you know UK club land you know the hardcore continuum how you want to kind of uh define it is it sort of striking to you that nothing's kind of come up in its wake like you wouldn't necessarily think there's been uh, like a new yeah. development since it i wonder if you kind of had a theory on on why that might be if it's something to do with the the internet or i personally feel that the the whole continuum like happened but it happened without it being defined as a genre or just being called bass yeah to say the least so if you if you want to connect the line between like people like night slugs um hessel audio um joy orbison even like myself and people like that have come from being influenced by like dubstep and funky and then have moved on so they ha that's a solid timeline there and then how that timeline moves forward from there because most of us are playing like quite house focused music now how that timeline forwards from there is disclosure and then it goes from there because they were influenced by like the Hessel audio lot and so that's how it like for me that's how the continuum has happened without being defined as a genre it's just continued via like stylistically by, by the music itself and yeah and, and I presume like I said I've, I've I've I'm happy to be a part of that do you know what I mean and like a part of that continuum and kind of like see it from the outside looking in as well like yeah, I mean, you mentioned Disclosure, your you're kind of label mates but like with PMR, you've toured yep. with them. I wanted to kind of ask you about PMR because, you know, in terms of the music that we're discussing and, um, you know, this kind of like strain of like crossover UK dance music, like, you know, they've just been killing it in many respects. You know, they've had lots and lots of success. And I just wonder why you kind of thought that was. Are they doing anything in particular like that, you know, really gets them to that place? Really gets them. Clearly, to be, to be honest, it's just good A&R in like, like picking up people at the right time and, and picking off music at the right time. As a label, like when I signed it, was yeah, it was just super strong. And I basically, talking about Night Slugs, I basically signed because Elvis, 1990, was the first person to sign to the label anyway. So for me, it felt like a really good home. If someone's going to sign like Elvis, like 1990 at, at the time, like maybe a year prior or two years prior, maybe, it, it just felt right and good. Like, do you know what I mean? It felt like it's coming from a genuine place and yeah, and that's 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 it. Just great A&R in like and, and pushing, looking to push boundaries and push things forward. Yeah, like, sure. Uh, did you meet Disclosure through uh, the label? Yes, I met them through the label. Yeah, I, obviously I don't only knew of their music prior to that, but um, yeah, through the label, which is another good thing about the label as well. They kind of like, they've built like a kind of like, they put a family home. Like it's like most people on the label know each other. Like even right now, I'm actually out of my deal with the label right now, but I still work closely with them. And I still like, even the guys, the new guys that are coming through the label, I'm still helping out with their projects that are coming through. So it's really good in that, in that respect. It was like, he was becoming part of, a, you're part of a family. Yeah, no, I see. To, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't know, like I was in LA the other day and Sam Smith won his Grammy and all the PMR lot are there and all the Meth lot are there and everyone's there, but like, I've still got an invite to the party. Do you know, it's yeah. it's a family community vibe, and like even like Jesse Ware, like most of us has actually, I think most of us producers that were on the label have done a Jesse Ware remix. Like, I'd say like yeah. 
Do you know what I mean? Or we've all remixed each other's music and things like that. It's, 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 it was a cool, it's a cool home. So when was it you toured the US with Disclosure? Um, just coming up two years ago. Yeah, I, I just really wondered what that experience was like for you. I mean, seeing this kind of like very UK style of dance music and performance in like these, you know, big US venues. Like, you know, what, what does that look like? What did that look like at the time? Yeah, so at the time, the show wasn't even that big, to be fair. Really? It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't as, nowhere near as big as they are now, obviously. At the time when I toured with them two years ago, the show was a, a decent size. I feel like some of those, the crowds, was it might have been like the first time they've, they've they little delve into like dance music itself as well. So even me DJing, became, like DJing at the start of like opening for Disclosure became like very apparent that like these, the people that were in the crowd, cause it, again, they're not allowed to party in clubs until they're 21 in America. There was 18 year olds there. There were some people there with their parents. Do you know what I mean? And it, it come very apparent that this is like maybe the first time that they're actually seeing like a DJ in a setting like they're This is like their first entry. Like, and seeing the reaction on the internet to that and then them kind of like, feeling like they were experiencing something so unique because there's a DJ, then there's then there's this live dance act. And it in America it was it was for me it was insane to just see how that went on and, and it was like still at a on a smaller scale. Latch hadn't even been released in the, in America just yet. It was this is all just off internet hype. Yeah. Like and so anyone that did know would know because done their research on the internet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was it was it was it was a strange dynamic. I mean, I've I've seen them now in recent times, and it's it's completely different now. As soon as they turn up, it's all glitz, like glitz and glamour. It's all going off, like do you know what I mean. Whereas now, they they still had that thing where people knew their songs, but they really still had to like perform. And I mean, not that they don't now, but like they had to, yeah, they, yeah. They had to win. It's really work. Yeah, you know, work. work they, over, yeah. yeah, win that to win it. Like yeah, do you know what nice I mean, and scene. own it. Yeah, and it was it was a good time. So you've just come back off a US tour. Yeah. Um, how did this last one compare to the tour that we're discussing? This was a club tour anyway, so I was, I was playing like club shows, yeah, mass majority of the time. But still, same, same thing. Like now, they're just, they're they're well advanced. They're 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 a little bit ahead. They kind of understand like what's going on. With yeah, the music I was, now. that's yeah. what I was wanted to ask. Really, yeah. have you seen that kind of like advancement in people's understanding sure. of what you do? I mean, this, it's probably a blessing and a curse with us being here from the UK that we kind of like always move forward. Like so, kind of like you go places and you kind of people don't understand that you're maybe that like you might not play like the acts that they expect you to play. So I may not play a, disc I play a Disclosure track and I probably won't play a, a Gorgon City track. Maybe not, do you know what I mean? It may not happen. Yeah. But I will play music that's got the same kind of like aesthetics. I'll play music that can kind of like push him forward from that sound onwards. Like, whereas like I said, sometimes maybe with America, maybe they're expecting you to, to, to play maybe sounds that like sound like that. But always at the end of a set, it kind of always got to a point where people were just like, yes, this pushing forward this hair is definitely like I'm getting to hear something unique again. Yeah. And it's always, it's a continuation of what they were listening to from Disclosure and the other guys that come around in that, in that, in that time. Uh, just to go back to something you were saying, um, do you almost think because of the speed that the, um, the sort of dance music scene operates at in the UK can actually be like, counterintuitive because by the time like you know people in other countries get to hear it the people who've actually made the music have like moved on to the next thing or they're like you know a couple years down the line 100 percent. i've traveled the world and people get disappointed by uk djs a lot because we are either directly on the curve or we're ahead of the curve 
Like, and we, and I, I love, that's why I like being from here is that we are, that's what we are. We're either on the curve or we're ahead of it. And we're never going to be behind it. We're never trying to be behind it. Like, and so with that, well, yeah, people get disappointed. People, people, people just think, well, why is he playing that? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Or like, maybe he thinks he's a super cool techno DJ now or whatever. Sure, like, yeah. But not realizing that maybe you're playing music from your mates. You're just playing music. You're just playing the music that you've been, that you like and that all your friends have given you like that are from the UK. And it's very much what's going on in the UK right now. But they don't, can't see it just yet because they might be looking at your your mix that you did from... Yeah, sort of 12 months 12 ago. 12 months ago. Like, I yeah. want you to play that track that you... Yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? And yeah. again, that's definitely something that I find is great about the UK, but it's, it is a definitely it's a blessing and a curse because we we do like to move forward and not like kind of like play dumb for the crowd we're not gonna play dumb for the crowd like do you know what i mean I, I definitely don't attempt to do that i'm not gonna play dumb for you because i know you're as intelligent as i am and i'm gonna give you intelligent music do you know what i mean and keep giving you like stuff that's gonna like challenge you do you know what i mean whereas again sometimes people don't want to be challenged at some points do you know what I, mean? I guess it's just getting that sweet spot isn't it between pushing things forward and then like you know pleasing pleasing the, pleasing the crowd yeah. a little bit there as well again there's nothing wrong with that but if you if you can challenge if you can do the both and kind of find that sweet spot perfect do you know what I mean but as any DJ would tell you like or say do you know what I mean you, you win some you lose some do you know what I mean at the end of the day and it, it, it is what it is but for me if you lose some because you played new music then you still won yeah yeah no I do see let's talk a little bit about your latest project because um, I was sort of interested to to sort of learn about the the nature of some of the or at least one of the early releases because it feels like you've kind of come full circle in a way yeah. so you want to uh, talk a bit about the new label so last year I mean, traveling and like being signed to a label like PMR, I kind of felt like I was getting back to that point again where people are expecting stuff from you. Expectations nice when people like it's nice, but the kind of person I am and how I am with my music is I like to I like to shock. If someone's expecting something from me, I'll definitely run in the other direction. Do you know what I mean? So with that and being part of obviously a label that is a commercial label to a degree, I felt like it wasn't quite right at the time. And I'd always had in my head that like from what I was doing a label from the deep technology days to like five years ago to now, I've always had the thing in my head where I wanted to do like create a new label. Mm. I met a young gentleman called Kenneth like, and on my way back from Ibiza, not last year, the year before. So two years ago, I met him on a plane on my back from Ibiza and young guy, 18 years old, I went and sat down next to him on a plane and he looked up and he was like, oh, like T, like T Williams there. Yeah? And I was like, I was like, yeah, like he was like, oh, wow, like I'm really into your music. I was like, sweet. So he sat there and spoke to me about his music. Uh, spoke to me about my music for the mass majority of his journey, journey back to London. And I was like, this is cool. But I was like, so like, what do you do? Like kind of like, well, you know so much about my music and like all the music that's going on around around me. What, do you make music or what do you do? So the, the guy decides to tell me that um, basically he makes music. Anyway, we get off the plane. His mum's on the plane as well. His mum's like, oh, you, you need to help like my son or, you know what I mean? Return the favour now, whatever. I was like, cool, whatever. Took his number, took his SoundCloud, didn't listen to it. Like done the, the, done the most standard thing that a DJ that's out there doing his thing could do. Just didn't listen to his music, didn't go on his SoundCloud. And one day I just decided, I just decided, I looked, looked for my phone and I decided to go on my SoundCloud, on his SoundCloud, 
the music was amazing. Like it was amazing. At this point in time, I was doing my Radio One residency. Directly downloaded one of his tracks and was just like, "Look, I'm gonna play this on Radio One." Like, you know, what I mean, the stuff's amazing. Like, I really like it. Whatever. Blah, blah. Again, really wasn't expecting it. Really blown away. Yes, I played it on Radio One. He got like a nice amount of plays on his SoundCloud now, and it was it was it was good for him. Fast forward, he's been like holding back for I don't know however long, and then just at the end of last year, he just decided to hit me up again and just send me a pack of like new music. And I was like, this is amazing. This stuff is actually amazing and the world needs to hear this. This is like something fresh. This is definitely something, this is definitely the direction I'm going in. Like it's like a cross pollination between like dubstep and funky and like garage and house. It's everything in one, like, but in a very clever way. Mm. And so I was like, yes, this is definitely a do. And he's young, he's like 19 years old. I was like, this is, this is like, this is like how I was. This is the freedom. And just lo and behold, at the same time, roughly around the same time, I've met these other guys, these three, this trio from South London called Priest, and they've decided to basically throw down exactly the same flavor that I've been like, we've all been like thinking about, and like that this this guy Kenneth from America has shown me as well. So I was like, wow, this is this is amazing. Like, there's there's definitely freedom in this. So I was like, you know what? There's so much, there's only so much you can shout about someone or play their music in clubs or like play their music on radio shows. Start a label. Makes sense. Like it makes perfect sense. Do you know what I mean? And and I always said I was never going to start a label if I was just going to start a label to release like similar music to everyone else. Like I was always said I was going to start a label to release unique music again, like just be releasing music that's very unique. And that's been, that's my ethos like right now. And every act that's been, that's coming on the label, the music that they, they've given me has has been like so unique and i've definitely shown both producers that like i've fully signed to the label like i've shown people like that are well respected in the industry their music and people are just like so excited and asking, have they got management and have they got an agent and do you know what i mean and all the rest of it is really exciting and it's and and there's nothing on the internet of these guys they've no like literally no soundcloud no nothing just yet it's this will be the first intro so to sort of summarize their music and to summarize where you're at, you're talking about sort of like a, it's almost like a post everything headspace in a way because you're you know you're bringing everything together. You can say you're operating in garage or grime or jungle or house. You're kind of the aim is to bring everything into one place. Is yeah. is that kind of what you're saying? Definitely, the aim is to bring the aim is just to bring music forward that has every element of UK influence. Every track doesn't have to have every single element but just has those elements of UK influences going on. Like, and the person doesn't have to be from London, doesn't have to be from the UK either. But if you've got that sensibility that has those elements from UK music, then I'm, then that's what the label's about. Yeah. I'm doing a special series as well, which I'll be releasing like tracks from like early doors. So Johnny Cash will be a release that's going, going out as well. And it's just, it's just a grand release. Music that some people have heard, some people will know it if you were part of the grime genre like if you wasn't then you'll get to hear it for the first time via my label as well and that'll be vinyl only as well like so going back to that like selling vinyls and like and actually like dipping into like being a part of like the solution should i say like i'd like to be part of like pushing things for things forward you know what i mean that's that's what i'm attempting to do with my label are you able to talk at this point about the collaboration that we were? <laughs> oh, oh, yes, it's, it's definitely, definitely great. So like, so people that follow me know that like I'm a massive Garage fan and um, literally I've managed over the last couple of weeks to get in the studio with two of my heroes as it goes. Like, so I've been in the studio with MJ Cole 
that track's actually finished. That's coming out. That's going to be on this EP. So it should be landing maybe like April 2015. Like so, another couple of months or another month. Sorry, should be. But it's done and dusted. It's well on its way already. And then um, I managed to get in the studio with Wookie as well, which is another one of my absolute heroes. Massive influence on my music. And um, we've been like. We spent three days just talking, like literally just talking about music and talking about our, both our influences. And it, it turns out, I'm, I mean, I'm a little bit younger than him, but it turns out that we've just got the same influences. We've come from exactly the same place. And I mean, I probably could hear that in his music. And um, yeah, so then we've, we've spent three days just chatting, eating, listening to music. And then on the last day we got into like making a track together, um, which is at the moment as it stands, is very soulful, it's got like, yeah, and we're looking to bring that kind of that kind of element of the UK, like the rest of the souls, like Phil Asher's like time, like bugs in the attic, that kind of flavour into what we're doing and uh bring it forward and, and finish a, a little two track a two tracker. Is there something you sort of identify in him that maybe you see in yourself that kind of allows you to, you know, roll with the times in the way that you have you know you've seen so many different like musical movements like come and go you've weathered so many like different little you know periods of uk club music like uh, you know is there a spirit that you guys you guys share that has you know allowed you to stick around for so long for sure i mean like coming into house music i i looked at him he was he was a template that i looked at and saw that he definitely took a massive step away from garage and started making house music, but he was making house music. Like it was undoubted, like you could not deny it, it was house music. And with that, he released a defected. And so when I was seeing all that's that's all part of the time that the period that I was like literally just sitting back and like taking a look at what was going on and really understanding what was going on, what I wanted to do. And seeing him do that and looking at how he his sound his sound changed from it was still him, but how his sound had moved forward, had progressed into like house music. It really spurred me on and really influenced me. And it kind of like, yeah, we say, share that similar turnaround in time. He was like the same. He was like, went from selling like crazy records and crazy units to like a, a down period where like no one wanted to hear his house music. Do you know what I mean? To a period where Defected kind of like had picked stuff up to a period where he had to kind of like decide whether he wanted to go into the funky UK funky scene because he had a big tune over there and kind of like stay away from it. And, he had all these stories for me. So really like we have really come through a journey. And like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't like to put myself in the same light as him because to me, he's such a legend for me. Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, but the story isn't that dissimilar in terms of how we've met, how you've managed to kind of like keep yourself relevant in terms of like different times and, and make yourself happy with what you're making as a, as a musician. 